Today, we are again talking about the millennium. We're talking about amillennialism. We're talking about the challenges to some of these beliefs and some of the things that that uh, is very difficult to answer. And uh, we're searching for ways for people to see truth. So stay with us. We have been uh, taking a look here for some time about, um, sometimes we've called it the doctrine of the millennium. That's really not the, the best title. The, the best title is the doctrine of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And when you look in the Bible, that kingdom coming to earth physically as well as spiritually now, the key to anything spiritual, uh, any key to anything physical, when you're talking about relationship with God, starts in the spiritual. So it's a spiritual kingdom first and foremost. Nobody will be in it that does not have the spirit and or obedient to the spirit. However, it is also a physical kingdom that God is going to plant on the earth. This started a long time ago. So the doctrine of the kingdom, of the coming kingdom, and what we have come to term the millennial kingdom, because of Revelation chapter 20, which says it is for a thousand years, uh, but that kingdom of a coming Jewish Messiah, Jesus, which is found, it, it, it's a foundational theme of scripture at, from Abraham forward, actually before the foundation of the world, but when you get into human history, um, very much so from Abraham forward, Israel's greatest and most oft-repeated hope, this is not a secondary subject, their most oft-repeated hope was the future kingdom to come, which would be characterized by the Messiah as king. It's a kingdom where righteousness reigned and a place of such accelerated advancement over any uh, earlier earth life that the promises were considered absolutely dramatic and very real, prophecy after prophecy in the Old Testament, uh, and also magnified in the New Testament, culminated with an assurance that this kingdom would come, literally on the earth. Now, through the centuries, We've seen that three primary views have been given about this since at least since the New Testament church age. We've looked at those. We've looked at the, what's called millennialism, the doctrine of the coming kingdom that I'm describing. We've talked about postmillennialism, and we have also talked about amillennialism. So I've talked about these things. Postmillennialism uh, poses that the return of the Messiah will occur at the end of the millennium. A guy named Daniel Whitby, in 1628 he was born, 1725 he died. He was a British Unitarian preacher-teacher that taught that the return of the Messiah would be ushered in as a result of the maturing brotherhood and sisterhood of believers within the church and in the world, as well as by the power of the church in world affairs. Now, this picked up after his life. This picked up momentum. People started teaching this. Churches started teaching this. And he taught that, that this 
uh, changing world affairs through Christians having offices and so forth, that this, coupled with the growing power of man uh, through now we're up to the 1800s, through the Industrial Revolution, the power of man and the emerging can-do thinking in society, this created an atmosphere. It's kind of hard to know these atmospheres in history without taking a lot of time to read it and ponder, and then we don't always get it right. But this, is, this isn't a long time ago, and we, we know what happened there. It created an atmosphere of personal and corporate confidence, and thus the doctrine of an evolving triumph of good over evil, eventually that good was through life, it's going to triumph over evil, and it was going to result in a kingdom of unending prosperity and growth, this was easy to embrace, especially in the Industrial Revolution where people were finding wealth, uh, the middle class and lower classes were finding um, uh, financial remuneration on a level that they'd never even dreamed of. And so all of this kind of came crashing down with the devastation of two world wars, and uh, this quickly brought these grandiose ways of thinking back to earth. We also talked about amillennialism. We've been talking about that for the last uh, couple of lectures. Uh, we've seen that there's a lot of changes that you have to make in scripture, uh, even in the location of scriptures. You have to change them around to make it match amillennialism. We've talked about the fact you have to use allegorical teaching that uh, this is the way that all of those Old Testament promises that promise the coming of the kingdom, and there's many, and we're going to take time, we're going to go through those uh, like, like has seldom been done. We're going to go through those promises, and we're going to show what that kingdom was like. So uh, stay with us, because it's interesting to know what the coming kingdom was prophesied to be like in the Old Testament, and there's scores of things about it that many people don't even know. And so um, these Old Testament promises, according to the all-millennialists and according to the post-millennialists, these, these do no longer belong to Israel, but are folded into the church. And now everything that was Israel's is folded into the church, and all of those things are, um, they are, they are gone as far as the hope of the future that God gave to Israel for all of those years. So we do not need to recover all of the things that we've covered about what is taught in these different doctrines, but suffice it to say, you cannot take the Bible for what it says literally in its historical context. You have to, you have to tear that down and prove that the Bible needs to be taken other ways so that allegoricalism will have a chance to breathe and be accepted. And so uh, we talked about the devil being bound. We've talked about changing Revelation 20 and putting it before Revelation 19. We talked about the fact that um, the thousand years that you, the word thousand is used six times in the first seven verses of Revelation 20. And in none of those places did it mean thousand, according to the all millennialists, not, not according to us. Uh, we believe that it meant what it said. Uh, we've looked at this and we've talked about this. The idea of amillennialism is that God has nullified and abandoned 
all of those Old Testament promises to the Jews. And any Old Testament promise of a restored Israel is fulfilled in the church. Now, that's, that's an important position because you, 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 you have to work to make that work. So any place God made, even if he said it's an eternal promise in the Old Testament to Israel, if it takes place, the amillennialists would say it's going to take place to the church. So when the Lord says, thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel. Now listen to that. That, that promise to Israel is, is like profound. Let's read it again. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel. I mean, that's pretty profound uh, tying, binding of God, of himself to Israel. And, uh, and yet, the amillennialists would say, that's, that's not going to happen, or that's fulfilled that the church is now Israel. So this is how these things uh, escape. There's, 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 there's many other scriptures, promises in the Old Testament. For example, Joel 2, 28, 29 is a promise that God's going to send his spirit, and he promises it to Israel explicitly. And he promises that he's going to pour it out upon your sons and your daughters and upon your handmaidens and upon your servants, which indicates people that are not Israeli, which indicates a revival that expands deeply into the Gentile world. And then um, also you have to believe that in Daniel 9.24, the 70 weeks that are determined upon thy people, this is God, this is the angel, this is the spirit talking to Daniel, the 20, the um, 70 weeks that are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, which is very explicit, thy people was Israel, thy holy city was Jerusalem. And yet uh, these would say that those Old Testament promises have been fulfilled uh, or nullified by Jews rejecting Jesus. And uh, further, there, there's other things that are just really uh, strange that in Daniel 9.27, the he there is Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist, which is a, a pretty difficult uh, thing to prove. And the covenant of Daniel 9.27 is the new covenant between Jesus and God's people promised in the Old Testament. Well, when you look at that, and we will in the future, but when you look at that, uh, it, it certainly in no way, shape, or form appears to be the new covenant. It appears to be the covenant that the Antichrist makes with the Jews during the tribulation period, and that covenant he breaks in the middle of the of the week, and he turns against them. And the time occurs that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, in which he says at that time, he actually identifies it as that time when he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel in Matthew 24, 14, and 15. And he says, let these that understand, they, let, them, let them get what I'm saying here. Then they should flee because Antichrist is going to turn against them. The book of Revelation talks about this, reaching this, this, this 
wicked one reaching out to try to suck them up and destroy them. And so all of this, you, you take all of this scripture and you, and you jockey it around in different positions until it becomes very, very difficult. Um, I already talked about the fact that, that to make this work, um, you have to take this amillennial idea, you have to take Revelation 20 and say it's already completed from the resurrection of Jesus till his second coming uh, is, is, is what that is. And you have to put Revelation 19 after Revelation 20. And so um, all, all of this is, is part and parcel. Um, the amillennialists would say that Israel's Old Testament prophetic hope is portrayed as being fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the believing remnant, the body, the church. In addition, amillennialists interpret Revelation 20 as Satan's binding in the church age. And all of these things that we have talked about, we are going to look at even uh, closer because this doctrine will lead us into things that are very difficult to reconcile to Scripture. So whatever we call the millennium, the amillennialists would say, it's, it's now that this is taking place in the present church age. So, for example, the amillennials would teach that there is no coming antichrist, that antichrist is already passed, and there was never and won't be an antichrist that was a man. Well, you have to say this in spite of the fact that the scripture speaks of the man of sin. You have to say this in spite of the fact that the scripture identifies him as the son of perdition. You have to, you have to, you have to some way uh, make proof of what you say uh, in the light of Genesis 3.15 where there is enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. You have to find ways to clarify what was meant when Jesus um, really answers the question whether there's a coming Antichrist that is a, a, a man. He says in John 5, 43, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him will ye receive. You'll actually make a covenant with him. Him will you receive. And so, uh, so how do we explain all these things? Uh, and this is one of the reasons why we're talking about this, is that uh, we, are not, we are not enemies of brethren or people. Uh, that would be <laughs> maybe more wrong than what's being taught here. But, uh, but by the same token, when all these things begin to rise to the forefront, um, then we need to be able to discuss them in a way that shows the weaknesses of these positions.